Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. Welcome back to the Reasonable Doubt Podcast. My name is Rob Rosen. I am the executive producer and creator of Reasonable Doubt, the television show. And I'm Fatima Silva, criminal defense attorney and co-host of Reasonable Doubt. My name is Detective Chris Anderson. I'm a former homicide investigator and co-host of Reasonable Doubt. Okay, Reasonable Doubt airs every Tuesday night, 10 p.m. on Investigation Discovery. Please check it out. Um, and basically, the premise of the show is simple. Uh, Chris and Fatima get called in by someone who has a family member or loved one who they are convinced has been wrongfully convicted of murder. Chris and Fatima will follow up on the leads that they're given and at the end, either let the family know whether they are on board and they're gonna join their fight for justice or whether it's time for the family to face some hard facts. All right, this episode, we're gonna talk about the Claude Garrett case, which was in Old Hickory, Tennessee. And uh, this was a pretty emotional case. Before we get started, uh, here's a little bit of background on this murder investigation. February 23rd, 1992. Old Hickory, Tennessee. 2 a.m. 35-year-old Claude Garrett and his 24-year-old girlfriend, Laura Lee Lance, come home after a long night of drinking. Just three hours later, their house burst into flames. By the time firefighters arrive, Claude is outside, injured, but safe. The firefighters find Laura Lee in the storage room. Within hours, she's dead from smoke inhalation. Claude tells police he and Laura Lee woke up to the fire. He was leading her out of the burning house when she panicked and ran back inside. But police don't buy it. 1993, Claude is tried for first degree murder. Prosecutors argue Claude locked Lori Lee in the storage room and then set the house on fire. The jury believes their theory and convicts. 2001, the verdict is thrown out because prosecutors withheld evidence. So in 2003, Claude is tried again. And once again, the jury convicts. Claude Garrett is now serving a life sentence. He is eligible for parole in 2022. 
One of the things that I think was interesting about this case and that was kind of hard to overcome, and we'll talk more about it later, is just that on the face of it, Claude's version of what happened that night is a little bit difficult to believe. So, Chris, if we could start with you, you know, as an investigator, when you talk to someone after a murder or a case like this and they're giving you a story that's kind of hard to swallow, how do you keep an open mind? How do you process the evidence without going back and saying, I just don't know if I believe this story? As an investigator, you want everything to match. I mean, that that rarely happens, but you want them to match. And in a case like this, it is it was it was extremely hard because none none of what Claude really said matched up with the physical evidence. So it it was it, it's a hard determination. And arson cases within themselves, they are very very hard to prove. But within this case, when you have a, a, a victim with the injuries that she sustained, and then you match up her injuries with Claude's version of events, they just really didn't smell, pass a pit smell test. So Fatima, if you're, uh, as an attorney, you have a client, they've already talked to the police, which I'm sure if you had gotten to them early enough, you might have suggested they didn't, but they've already given a Leave story the fifth, that's- people. So um, you've talked, to, you've, you've taken on the case and they have, told a story to the police that's, in your estimation, you agree, a little difficult to swallow. How, as a defense attorney, do you then start building some doubt and start creating a defense? There's always two sides to me. You know, there's this practical common sense side that just as an everyday person, I hear a story and I go, "Mm, does that seem believable? Well, sounds a little fishy and suspect, right? But when I'm tasked with the job to represent someone, or in this case, get some answers for a family. The last thing I want to do is create some kind of, um, you know, automatically come in and go, well, the story just seems unbelievable. So, you know, we'll go from there. But I try not to start with that because then I'm really not starting with this innocent until proven guilty, which is what I need to start with in my mind. So what I do is I look at, well, for people who were wrongfully convicted, if you look up those cases, a lot of times those people are wrongfully convicted because their story just didn't match up or it just didn't make sense to people. Um, You know, you were the last person to see that person alive, whatever it may be. And so you don't want to end up, you know, in that territory where you're already putting yourself in a difficult position to defend someone or to believe someone just because the story seems unbelievable. So this goes back to Ken Middleton, same thing. His story was far more unbelievable to me than this. Um, This is a fire, you know? And so what was so unbelievable about the story? Really? I I didn't think it was that bad. I mean, okay. They come home from a night of drinking. Um, You know, they're in a poor area. They, uh, everybody in that area, as I understood it, used kerosene, right? Had it in in the living rooms to warm up the homes. They couldn't really afford heat. Um, So you think about it, maybe they smoke and they pass out. I mean, when people are drunk and high, you get lazy, you get tired, you make some mistakes. So it's possible. But for me, the issue that kept arising in this story beyond what happened that night was what had happened in the past, the domestic violence. So we're going to get to that part of it. Now, what's I think was uh, for Chris, the hardest part of Claude's story to really wrap his head around was the idea that he he claimed that Lori Lance walked outside with him, almost made it to the front door. He's fumbling with the door. She panics and goes back into the fire. Now, 
when you went and uh, spoke to that expert who said that the burns simply were not consistent with that story, that she, she was wearing shorts, so she should have had some burns on her legs. Uh, Claude had his hair and eyebrows singed and she didn't. Um, for you, Chris, was that the point where you really were beginning to have grave doubts about Claude's story? Yeah, yeah, that helped. That, that, it was that interview that helped raise some of the doubts in his story. Um, because this expert has, you know, she has, like we are, she's completely non-biased. Uh, but yeah, after after speaking with her and she pointed out some of those injuries that she had, and, and yeah, that's when I started raising some of the, it, it, her interview is what raised some of my doubts, yes. Now, on the other side, and that's always, I think, the beauty of um, of these investigations is, Right, it looks one way for a day or two, and then there's something else. Now, the prosecutors had always argued one that it was arson, and two that Claude had uh, locked uh, Lori Lee up in that storage closet in the back of the house. Now, Chris, talk a little bit about that experiment you did, which one proved that you couldn't determine whether it was arson, but also that showed that the lock to that door was open. So the prosecutors were not right about that. Yeah, you know that that was. That was extremely telling to me. You know, it, that was one of the cases that throughout this entire investigation, I was kind of on one side of the fence and then back on the other, one side of the fence, back on the other. When we did that experience, this experiment, that was one thing that brought me back on the, and I won't say it took me all the way over the fence, but it it put me back on the fence. You know, seeing that those doors, there was no way that those doors could have been locked uh, during the time and seeing that that, that story was not necessarily true. Uh, you know, it, that was one of, the things that put me back on the fence behind this case. So Fatima, that was a pretty prejudicial thing that the uh, prosecutors introduced, that he had locked Lori Lee Lance in that storage closet. I want to play an interview, a clip of the interview that you did with uh, two of the jurors in both of Claude's trials. Was there any other evidence that pointed to his guilt for you? Uh, yeah, she was in the utility room with the door locked. Do you recall that it was clear that that door was locked mm -hmm. when they found her? Yes, that's okay. the way it was presented to us. Okay. If she was locked in the utility room, he did it. Yeah. Um, prejudicial, to say the least, in the case. Think about it. You've, you tell a jury the door's locked. Who else locked her in there? How, do you, how can the defense get up and go, well, she could have locked herself in there? I mean, that's just ridiculous. So as a jury, you're told that, you know, the door was locked and she was back there. It doesn't matter what other evidence you hear. The door's locked. The girl's in the closet. Somebody did it. He's the last person with her. So I don't think he had a chance after that. Chris, I want to ask you, because this has come up so many times in these investigations that I've watched you do, which is... A lot of times it seems as though it is the words of the convict themselves that ultimately do them in. They, they say things that become clearly false, that can be proven to be false, and then the whole case unravels. You want to be able to match what the convict or what the defendant or what the suspect says with the physical evidence. That those are the two main parts of any case that you investigate. And when it doesn't turn out right, what you end up doing is investigating the possibilities. Uh, is, is it possible that it happened this, the way that this person says? Is it, is, that, is it possible that 
these uh, this could have been done the way he says it was done. Sometimes you find out that that's true, and sometimes you don't. And I think that 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 <clears throat> on top of the prosecution saying that that door was uh, locked at the time and the testimony from the first arson investigator is what did him in. All right. So that's, that's going to bring us to another big, big piece of this case, which uh, Fatima, you alluded to earlier, which is abuse. Um, And Claude had told you, Chris, when you did the phone interview from the prison that he had never once laid a hand on Lori Lee Lance. He only would admit to having temper tantrums. Um, but Fatima, when you spoke to the victim's family, um, it was a very different story. And I just want to play a clip from that. So as I understand it, Claude says, yes, they had a volatile relationship, but it wasn't ever violent. That is a complete lie. I have a police report that she filed where he struck her in the face, but she did not wish to press charges. And the reason she didn't want to press charges is because she was scared of him. Did anybody ever see any injuries on Lori? Yes. You did? Yes. Tell me about that. I've seen marks across her back that long and that wide. And she said, I just fell down. Don't, just don't say nothing to mama. I seen bruises on her arm. But when I asked her, it was the same thing. She would try to act like it was nothing. We make the mistake of thinking, well, she's 24, she's got time. The one thing she didn't have, we thought she had time. Yeah, meeting with the family, um, that was powerful because they weren't just sitting there making allegations of, you know, she said, he said, or anything like that. It was really personal experience and observations. Um, so that was important. You know, the uh, one younger sister talked about how he poured a beer on her head and, um, you know, just how she she brought up the police report, which, uh, you know, charges were never filed uh, because she don't, she was afraid, which happens all the time. So what wasn't aired was rumors, and obviously that's probably why it wasn't aired, but rumors that she was going to leave him. And we're talking about a young girl who is full of life and uh, kind and positive and happy-go-lucky. And she worked. And I, 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 if I can recall, he really couldn't hold down a job. So it was one of those situations where it was almost like she was just too good for him. And she probably realized she was in this bad, um, dangerous situation. And, and when she wanted to leave, that could have been what resulted in that night. And, you know, we said on, on you know, on the show, 75% of these women who do end up killed is because they do try to leave. Um, and so once I sat down with the family and I heard that suddenly the story that from the start for me seemed like it could have been possible. It was just a typical house fire turned into, well, there may be some other motive here and that really needs to be looked into because we can't just take what happened on that night and isolate it and only look at that evidence. It wouldn't be right. We have to go back in the past and find out in what ways has this man already violated her, harmed her, destroyed her life. And sitting down with the family gave us that proof that we needed for that motive. I think it was your interview when you came back and told me about that interview. I think that was what kind of did it for me, including the fact that that uh, Claude could not give a more than believable statement about what happened. Because what I know about being a police officer for years is domestic violence victims, they don't 
call the police the majority of the times that they are being abused. And if you think about this, Claude does fit that mold, that build of a person that is a domestic violence abuser that had a lot of control over the victim in this case. And, you know, when you add all of that into uh, the case, the investigation, and then put into effect, put into it, take into account his, his accounts of what happened that night. Yeah, that's, that's what did it for me. And unfortunately for him, I don't think that even if he had admitted to actually ever hurting her physically, I, you know, I don't think that would have made a difference, you know, so it's not just that he's still denying that he ever laid a hand on her. Um, Obviously, that's another issue, right? Well, you're lying about that, buddy. So, you know, just just fess up to that so we can move on. But if he had admitted to that, he's still in that hot water. You know, he's still absolutely a suspect because, um, you know, those relationships, that is a form of control. And if her leaving him, you know, was what was going to happen that night, then that was a major threat to his life and everything he had. So, Chris, when you ended up doing the, the phone interview with Claude and he was in prison, what was your overall impression of him, of how he was sticking with his story, overall demeanor? What was your professional take on Claude? You know, Claude was one of those, uh, he wasn't overly aggressive during my interview. He was actually pretty, pretty calm when I talked to him. Uh, you know, he wasn't, he didn't appear to be trying to forcefully say that I didn't kill Laura Lee. And, you know, that, that, that kind of goes along with uh, what I expected. But uh, his explanation, his accounts of the relationship between he and Laura Lee, we just know that that's, that wasn't true. His, uh, and so in his accounts of what happened that night, you know, the physical evidence does not bolster what he says. So. I mean, I will give him credit for being honest about his temper. He's like, I fly off the handle, you know, there was one time I did this and then this, and he started to list it out. And it's like, you know, at least you admit to that, but that kind of personality, you just don't stop because, you know, and I'm not saying that, oh, that, you know, kind of person's going to go kill someone, but this is the kind of accident that somebody who flies off the handle could start. Yeah. And and I I honestly think that there's, there are plausible answers that this could have been an accidental fire and uh, Claude's unwillingness to admit this, you know, um, implicates him in all in, in her death. It certainly seemed like there was near certain proof that the story that uh, he was telling you just couldn't have happened the way it did. You confronted him on that, and he did something that I sense a lot of convicts do. He sort of tried to turn the tables and make you feel bad for him. So why didn't you go back in and grab her? Well, that's a question I've been asking myself for many years, and I wish I had tried to. You never thought to run back in? I mean, you know, I could sit here and call myself a coward. I could sit here and say a lot of things now, but no, I didn't think to do that. I don't know why. I've regretted that many times. I wish I could trade places, but I can't. Look, I don't want to bash the guy. He, he, you know, maybe he's being honest about what he should have done or what he, he could have done. You know, I, I hate to do that, but I know exactly what I would have done in that situation. And a lot of people say, you know, you don't know what, what you would have done until you're in that situation. No, I know exactly what I would have done in that situation. If, if my wife is in there in a house that's burning, I'm going to go save my wife or I'm going to, you know, I'm going to injure myself severely trying to save her. 
So, um, you know, and I, I admire wanna... that. I, I have no doubt that you would do that, Chris, but I do not hate everybody. that comparison. Yeah, right. I do nobody, nobody, no, no, well, I know, know where you're going to go. No, I know exactly <laughs> I'm just saying, where you're going to you know, go. I just know, I know my look, part. But listen. When you, and I know, but I also know that, and we talked about this, that you, you promised you weren't going to take that into consideration as far as, you know, whether that's what he should have done that night. No, um, no, this is just a personal analysis of, yeah. of, of what should have, what, what I think should have been done. That had nothing to do to, to do with my decision. It's just, I, I just know what I would have done. Cause I always go back to this case in Texas where he was wrongfully convicted a father and, um, he. Hi, this is Craig Robinson from ways to win and support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ the official ETF of the NCAA. Invesco QQQ is proud to sponsor this episode and even prouder to provide access to innovation for the last 25 years. Basketball has had innovations over the years too. We're seeing the game played in new ways every day. Learn more at Invesco.com QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc., Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass!" So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Hey, it's Janice from Warner Brothers Discovery. Have you ever heard the expression, perfect is the enemy of good? I think about that a lot, especially when it comes to my body and health, because perfect does not exist. It's a total trap. Noom isn't into this perfection thing either. Its unique approach is tailored to each person's psychology and biology. From coaching to recipes, Noom's app provides personalized information to help you on your journey, no one else's journey. I also think it's great that Noom doesn't restrict what you can eat, and it doesn't shame you for treating yourself. And treat yourself, you should. What's more, Noom's approach is grounded in science. They've even published more than 30 peer-reviewed scientific articles about how they work. To date, Noom has helped more than 5.2 million people lose weight by helping them build new habits for a healthier lifestyle. So why not give it a try? Stay focused on what's important to you with Noom's psychology and biology-based approach. Sign up for your trial today at Noom.com. That's N-O-O-M.com. And check out Noom's first ever cookbook, The Noom Kitchen, for 100 healthy and delicious recipes to promote better living. Available to buy now wherever books are sold. He ended up executed, and it turns out later, obviously, because of the science, experts said that it wasn't caused on purpose, this fire, that it was an accident probably due from like some space heaters they had around the house. But mm-hmm. 
it was the saddest thing because his two little kids died in the fire. And he said on his way out that he stopped by the room and, you know, tried to fill around for them, couldn't find them. And so then he left and, you know, got himself out. And the courts held him, you know, to this high standard. I think the community, how do you leave your children? How do you leave your children? And I'll, I'll just never forget, they asked him, his, his parents said his final words to them were, I'm not guilty of this, but what I'm guilty of is I lied. I really just ran outside because I was so terrified. I, I, I didn't stop to try to find them. And that's a, that's a real father. And, and he wasn't guilty of the crime. He didn't set the house on fire, but he wasn't able to stop by the room and try to find his children. And so for me, I go back to that and I think, you know, we all like to say we would do that, but that can't be the standard we hold people to. Um, if this was an accident that he set the fire somehow and she ran out and ran through the back room, who's to say that he didn't immediately regret setting that fire the moment it happened? Um, and, you know, that he, he didn't want her to die. Maybe he was just a coward and ran straight out after. I know for you guys, when it, we get ready to do the results and you have to break bad news to the family, it's tough. We had uh, Dina and Norman, who is such a great salt of the earth friend of his that uh, they had met in prison. Um, was it tough for you? Was it tough for you guys to, to have to break this bad news to them? Very much so. Very I tough. I hate it. Yeah, you know, even with 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 Norman, I mean, you know, Norman, it was uh, it was one way. This is a friend. This is a guy who really believed in 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 uh, Claude's uh, innocence, you know. So that's one thing. But when you have a daughter sitting across from the table from you, and she's never really truly known her father outside of prison, and you have to break this news, it's extremely hard for me because you know you you know Fatima and I talk about this all the time about how we never want to try. We never want our investigations to separate the love of a father and a daughter, even if he is in prison. Mm -hmm. and, and, and it's, it's and it sounded like they had a beautiful relationship they now, did. Mm -hmm. an important yeah. relationship, one that you don't want to break. A father-daughter relationship is the most important, I can say, as being, a, you know, a girl who's very close to her father. It's, um, you know, a lot of times when you're able to maintain that while they're in prison, I think that's so great because a girl needs her dad. Mm -hmm. And Chris, I'm, you're smiling because you got your girls yeah, and you I are a girl dad, 100%. I know that. I get so, that from your father. Yeah, my dad is, oh, he's such a softie. I love him. But he's my best friend. And, you know, there's nothing like being able to go to your father for a boy going to their mother for that advice that, you know, that other, um, getting that other opinion. And so when Dina, when Dina described the relationship with her father, I, I really liked that part because it sounded like they've gone great lengths and he's made such an effort to be there for his daughter. And the last thing you want to do is after a girl's been through so much in her life and probably had difficulty with, you know, relationships or whatever else it might be feeling abandoned by her father to still have that strong relationship. You don't want to come in and destroy that. That's for sure. And that's one thing that we try to make sure we do at the table is let let the families know that we're not here to destroy your relationship. Still love your father. If you're going to fight for him, keep fighting for him. But here is what we found out. And then another thing is we don't want to damage what's what's left of her family either. And and that they kept going through my mind throughout this entire investigation. You know, we don't we never want to hurt uh, Laura Lee's family either because they lost a daughter. They lost a, a sister. Mm -hmm. And, you know, so those, 
that that is the hardest part of doing this job. But some something some loved ones make it easier. Dina mm-hmm. was very much from the start. I know what you guys are here for, um, and I'm ready. I'm ready for it. You know, right. it doesn't mean I'll believe it, but I want to hear it. These are questions that I've had all these years. She had um, a lot of intelligent things to say, a lot of things to back up, uh, you know, why she felt a certain way. And you can see how that's been eating away at her for all these years. Well, we do have a, uh, a guest here, guys. Uh, Dina is, uh, is joining us from Tennessee. Dina, uh, Fatima and Chris. Hey, Dina. Hey. Hello. How are you? How are you guys? Good. How are you? Good. Doing We're great. all right, <laughs> considering. We were just talking about yeah. you. It's been now seven, eight months uh, since we all met. Um, fill us in. How are you doing? Uh, how's your dad doing? How's Norman doing? Um, I mean, I guess all things considered, we're, especially the day that we're doing this podcast, um, all the craziness considered, I, I'm doing absolutely fine. My dad, I guess, is fine. There's some Innocence Project stuff that's um, in the works and conversations with him. And, um, you know, like I communicated with you the other day, his mother just passed away. So all things considered with this, I mean, things are moving forward slowly. And his his role is every day is a new day. So all the craziness considered, we're all doing really well. So he's staying positive. Yeah, yeah. That's all you can do. How how often do you guys talk? Um, right now we talk more than we normally do. Um, just because of the situation with his mother and um her estate was left to him, which of course he can't go settle. So therefore that is me. <laughs> and um so we're talking right now a lot more than normal. But normally we talk about once every other week. Um he calls once a week, but I'm very busy with work, so we actually get to chat at least once a month, but normally he calls every week. It just doesn't always work out that I can answer sometimes. So, yeah. Fatima and I both are sorry to hear about his mother passing. That's, that's rough. Yeah. Yeah. It was interesting because the night his um, mom died was the same night that that tornado hit Nashville, which is where he's in prison. So, um, the all communication lines were down. And so it was two days later until he found out by somebody figuring out how to get word to the chaplain um, in his personal life that he found out she had passed away. So it was a very crazy time. And the tornado actually part, part of the path touched down um, maybe like a quarter mile from where he was so of course that's stressful because it's like oh tornado ripped up nashville and you see on the news like places that you know are really 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 close and no one's answering the phone so last month has been kind of stressful but aside from that things are fine everything's kind of moving along and you know we don't like i told you guys on the show we don't really talk about all of this a lot just because it's been our practice that this is just normal for us so it's not a common like a common topic of conversation so, Dina, I know that uh, the day that uh, Chris and Fatima, the last time that we were all together and they were telling you the results of their investigation, um, you know, that's difficult for them when they can't get behind a case and they have to give bad news to the family. Um, did anything change for you just as far as how you felt about the case, not your dad, but just about the case since since you spoke to them that day? Well, so I feel like it leaves you a little more conflicted. Like I told you guys, this was a box that had never for me been open. Um, I had never allowed myself to come to any kind of 
conclusion or have any kind of thought about it because I just never, I just never let the box come open. And you guys kind of opened Pandora's box for me, if you will. Um, and in, in <laughs> obviously not being able to talk about it a lot, just thinking through it on my own, it was hard because there were parts of the case that were like, yes, this, this didn't happen the way that prosecution or, or the case kind of unfolded that way. Like, for example, the lock, right? Like the way that you guys showed in there, he's correct. But then in some aspects, you know, Chris, you said, there's no way that it happened this way. I think sometimes when things are kind of left, not a definite yes or a definite no, it sends us on the path to figuring it all out for ourselves. Um, so that was tough for a little while. Um, but I mean, it is what it is, right? You just kind of have to figure out how to deal with it. Which is interesting because that's um, something we were talking about before you got on the call was, you know, normally when we look at a case and we can get some answers, we, we try to solve it in a way where, like you said, it, it's either it's likely it happened this way and that he did mm -hmm. it or, or um, you know, he didn't. And this one was tough for me too, because when Chris would come back and go, it looks like the lock was, you know, open right there. I thought, well, then where's the case? But um, what this comes down to is that when the individual accused does speak and does tell their story and the pieces don't fit, then there's nothing really anybody else can do until that person either comes forward with their truth or can remember um, if, if they don't remember. Mm -hmm. But it is a situation, unfortunately, where as a defense attorney, I would say to my client, this is why you should have been quiet because it does make mm -hmm. the, even though it's not your burden to prove, um, you know, innocent, now mm -hmm. we're later in appeals where, yes, his story needs to make sense because we have to prove to innocence. And if we try to prove innocence, but it's inconsistent with his story and based on his story, there's no way uh, that it could happen that way, then we're left really with no way of helping. We can't necessarily say how it happened, but we know how it didn't happen. And that's what he says. Yeah. And that, I think that right there was the hardest part for me to sit with for a while, because it was one of those moments where you're like, you know, dang it, you're, stub you're so stubborn. And maybe you do, like Chris said, maybe that is his truth in the way he remembers it. Um, no one will ever, ever know. I mean, this is one of those things that him, Lori and God, right. And there's two of yeah. them that can't speak to us. So, um, no one will ever know, but the challenge is, you know, and I even shared that with him and of course asked him not to, to talk about it. And he of course didn't, but I just said, you know, here's the one thing that I'm having a hard time with. And normally he's very quick witted, very rebuttal, very, can come up with things on his feet. And he just sat there and didn't say a thing. And, um, it was a really eerie moment for both of us I think because it was like maybe this is what you remember but if you had just not said anything or said I don't know you would have still had some sort of life out with the rest of us and you wouldn't still be almost 30 years later where you are right so that was the heart I think of all of it the lock only bothered me because it was just one of the things that he's been saying the whole time that's not how it went that's not how it was and it wasn't that way um Dina, the, can I the ask hardest you felt one to me was that can I ask how you felt about the domestic violence part? Learning that Honestly, he, in fact, had physically harmed Lorley. Yeah, well, and ironically enough, that really wasn't something that, I'm not going to say it doesn't bother me, but it wasn't something I've ever, even since then, have put any stock in thinking about. Um, 
So I don't know. Can I, I mean, ask I, why? I by, why don't you think about uh, that? Maybe. Um, I don't know. I'm not, I'm not sure. I guess maybe the other things were more disturbing to me than that. What other things? Because, well, so here's the thing. And I don't, I mean, he's not confided anything in me. If anything, we don't talk about it as much as we probably should. But the thing of it, if I look at it objectively, just to answer your question, because I've literally not put any thought into this, but if I were to right now, I would say whether or not he did abuse her does not change his life with me, but whether or not he did kill her changes everything for me. And so maybe it's just the fact that if this were in fact true, that he abused her in whatever way, that does not affect me at all, like as a person, but whether or not he actually is guilty of this in the way that they have portrayed that affects me and has for my entire life. So maybe I'm not, not putting thought into it because it's not something that has anything to do with me personally. Um, and you had never and, asked him outright. He never lied to you about that, no. right? You never asked him outright. Did you ever hit her? Or mm -hmm. touch her? Okay. No, like I said, and I've, for our entire relationship, I've never even asked him, did you do it? because <laughs> I and I he's asked me why I haven't asked him that and this was before the show but he said do you not want to know and I said well here's the thing I know that I lose either answer and he has said what do you mean by that and I'm like you know if you did I have a murderer for a father and if you didn't I haven't had a father so either answer that you could say I lose and I'm I don't it, just what's the point right so what's the point of opening that and going down that route is that um, what you meant when you said, Dina, that um, you, you were putting things in a box and this was opening up that box? It was sort of making you think about whether or not yeah. this would happen? Mm -hmm, yeah. And I mean, I don't know that this matters for the podcast, but um, literally a few days after this was, so I don't know if you guys know this, but the day we shot the finale, I literally had come from the last time I ever got to see my grandfather. It was very interesting because I don't cry about anything usually, even if it's hard and literally like at the conclusion I'm like get I don't know probably, well, I don't know if this will be shown but I'm like get this off of me I have to go I literally felt like I couldn't breathe and um it's I you know went in and that was the day the day we shot that finale was um I had just come to you guys from the last time I ever got to see him so it was an interesting month and since then um and after opening this up as well as that I've actually ended up with a therapist so I kind of got back home and after a couple of weeks, I was like, you know, I'm really good at carrying things, even if the load is heavy, but I'm calling a timeout, you know, like I can I'm, tell. <laughs> yeah, I, I think, was like, I, I, I think need a moment. Brave of you. That's awesome to hear because you, your strength mm -hmm. is so admirable, but at the same time, I, it does make one wonder, gosh, how much is she carrying? I love that you say well. you boxed it up so you can have that relationship with your dad, right? Yeah. But deep down, there's some issues. Um, and sometimes just to get through the day, we kind of put them behind us. But I think that's mm -hmm. really brave of you to say, okay, this box is open. Let's just yeah, dig in and work <laughs> on it. My life is great. I've got the best business I've ever had. I mean, on the outside, everything, people are like, man, I would love to be her. But in that moment on the inside for about a month, I was like, God, what is going on? <laughs> so I finally, and I'm not somebody who believes in therapists. My mom, um, when she was alive, she used to joke that people who worked with her would ask how I'm not in therapy with all of this with him. And I always was like, 
for weak people. I can figure it out. <laughs> That's not true at that all. That is not true I at all. I honestly well, feel now, like it's for strong really people, know. you know, because yeah. it's for people who say, enough mm-hmm. of this. Like, you know, I can go on every day mm-hmm. faking it. Anybody can do that. Mm-hmm. But, you know, I really want to work on who I am. I really want to be stronger for myself and for my kids and, and be healed. Yep. Right. Yeah. Because yeah. carrying that for years, it's, it's only going into a dark place that weighs on you. So it kudos takes, to well, you. And it takes strength yeah, to, to, to admit when you have, uh, problems when you can talk to people about some of your problems. So I, I really admire you, Dina, and I appreciate everything. I okay. appreciate you a- allowing us to look into your father's case. I hate that we couldn't give you much better news. And I hope you keep on well, pressing. I know you will. I know you will, but I, 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 we want you to keep pressing. Well, the interesting thing in hindsight, and you know, after so many months and all of that to reflect on it a little bit, no matter what the result of that was because he's asked me you know do you regret doing it and I'm like you know I don't because it's kind of um as crazy as it sounds it's kind of been freeing for me even though it wasn't what maybe somebody would hope to have the answer be um it allowed me to have the moment of opening the box and like having to face what was in there and not just stuffing it back in my closet um, so in some sense, and it has been a very liberating experience. So that's why we do it. So that is, we're that glad is to hear that part. That is great to hear. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right, well, and it's thank- also made me deal with other things. So it's really helped. So that's great. Well, Dina, thank yeah. you so much for calling in and, uh, updating You're us welcome. and, uh, stay safe. Keep us posted Dina, <laughs> on everything. Wish you all the best. I will. You guys, stay safe, wash your hands. Great talking to you. (laughs) 20 seconds, girl, 20 seconds. Yeah. (laughs) Happy birthday. Take care. Bye. 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 All right. Well, that is the Reasonable Doubt podcast. My name is Rob Rosen, the executive producer and creator of Reasonable Doubt, which can be seen on ID every Tuesday night at 10 o'clock. And my name is Detective Chris Anderson. I'm a retired homicide investigator and the co-host of Reasonable Doubt. And I'm Fatima Silva, criminal defense attorney and co-host of Reasonable Doubt. All right. Thank you guys so much for listening to the podcast. Please make sure to subscribe if you haven't already. And please watch the show every Tuesday night, 10 o'clock on Investigation Discovery. We'll be back next week. Please stay safe. Save big money on everything for your next project at Menards. Spring is here making it the perfect time for outdoor projects. Suncast storage sheds are an excellent solution for protecting outdoor lawn and gardening tools. They're easy to assemble, and the all-weather construction provides water resistance and UV protection. Save big on Suncast storage sheds. View our selection of Suncast products today in-store and on Menards.com. Save big.